Welcome to Geek on Film with your hosts, Robbie Holmes and John Hoche. Hey there, folks. Welcome aboard episode 25 of Geek on Film. I'm Robbie. Hey, guys. I'm John. Welcome aboard. As my co-pilot, Captain, has said, my podcast captain. Please keep your hands in hands and legs inside the cabin. Uh, We've got tons and tons to go over this week, which is really surprising. Uh, I didn't think I was going to have this much, but the last like uh, three days, I was able to sort of take a breath and just relax and watch a bunch of stuff. Uh, But our main review this week is going to be of Megan. So let's start it off with uh, some television. Uh, John, why don't you kick us off with Velma? I've heard mixed things, so I'd love to hear what your impression is of the first two episodes. Yeah, so on HBO Max, they, they're they doing a new animated, um, well, I guess they're all, in, well, no, there's some live action, the, the movies were live action, but they're doing a new anime, animated um, version of Scooby-Doo, but this time focusing on the character of Velma, hence the name Velma, uh, and um, Mindy Kaling is uh, voicing Velma, she's also an executive producer on the show. And two episodes have come out, and this is uh, much like um, the Harley Quinn, the Harley Quinn show. Um, this is you know geared towards towards adults, mm-hmm. um, and it's getting yeah, it's getting a lot of uh, it's getting a lot of hate on on both sides. So I think conservatives are like this is too woke, and then non conservatives are like this is just a bastardization of the the Scooby-Doo characters and it's very problematic and it's crass and um, and I'm kind of in the middle of it. Okay. I was never a big fan of Scooby-Doo in general. Like growing up, like that was not one of my favorite cartoons to watch. Um, so I'm not like partial to these characters. Um, this is a, they've, diversified the cast which i think is very cool um but yeah there's a lot that i enjoyed about it um i mean the only thing i i can compare it to is the harley show on hbo max because it's um again another adult cartoon and i feel like they are trying to they were trying to kind of you know, like steal some of that glory of, of Harley where it was like, Oh, you know, we can have these characters say fuck and we can talk about adult themes and all those other things. When Harley does it, uh, it, it's very successful. And I think that they do stray from the character descriptions and, uh, um, of like the Batman villains and Harley. Um, but it kind of works. Whereas like they're really go, they're really pushing, um, these characters to to not be like the the Scooby Doo characters that we know, uh-huh. and I'm I mean, a- and Harley Quinn is super successful. It actually won the Critics' Choice last night. Yeah, um, it's because it's also it's also trying to tell it as it has something to say. Um, the thing with me and 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 Velma is it's only two episodes out, and I'm willing to stick with it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but these first two episodes, I feel like they were trying to get like 
they were trying to really punch you in the face and be like, this is what this show is going to be. And we're, you know, um, so, you know, and everyone's like, Velma hates solving mysteries. Well, you know, yes, but also this is like, um, there is a reason why she's like fearful of solving mysteries based on her past. And they talk about that in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, this is going to be her journey into finding that passion again, because there, there is a, there is a, a killer on the loose in the high school. Who's like sucking the brains out of popular girls. And I mean, um, like you do, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, and Fred has been currently Fred has been, um, pinpointed as as the murderer um so can't trust anybody in an ascot so yeah uh the funny thing is um his family fortune is about men's fashion perfect <laughs> in the show like there's <laughs> things like that which i think are very charming and very interesting and very cute there also is uh i'm seeing a lot of comments and i i, I have to agree with it where it's it's very interesting that mindy kaling is consistently involved or creating even characters where they're, you know, South Asian descent and, and they're just vying for the love of, of cis white males, cis white males. Um, it's interesting. And because they have diversified this show, it's yet another example of that. Mm. So I'm a little conflicted there too. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to kind of keep going with it for a couple more episodes. Uh, I, I do recognize the problems with it and I want to make sure that the problem or the, I don't know if the show, the good points will outweigh the bad points, but we'll see. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that was very subtle in its approach to the show, as opposed to what you just talked about. Fleischman in, is in trouble, <clears throat> starts off and so it starts where, uh, it starts off as one type of story and ends as a completely different story. Mm -hmm. Um, And the big question for me at the very beginning is why cast Claire Danes? Uh, If you watch the first four episodes, you get so little of her, Um, Mm -hmm. but then you turn the corner and episodes five through eight are just, uh, there's so much Claire Danes. And, and honestly, I'd be very surprised if she doesn't get nominated uh, for best supporting actress in a, in a limited series. She's so, so good in this. Um, and, and honestly, I think the, the, the show is one of the most, um, well thought out, well conceived, like ensemble shows. I know it's based on a book, but boy, the ensemble they pulled together to play the four main characters of Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and Adam Brody is, is pretty unbelievable. Mm. Um, you, you deeply believe the friendships between, um, Toby played by Jesse, Libby played by Lizzie and, and Seth played by Adam. They like went together to Israel. They went to college together. You get these deep seated. I've known you forever and know who you are in your soul. And and Claire Danes is playing Rachel is, is sort of on the outside of that the whole time. And, and that's the dichotomy of the show that you really end up with is like you spend time with this trio and then uh, supporting one another, sometimes frustrated with one another as friends are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the sort of story of how Rachel was a part of Toby's life and it, it's just an unbelievable story. And I think Claire Danes is, she's so powerful in what she does in this show. Um, cool. It's uh, and and the finale lands. It's, it's one of the best finales I've seen in a long time. 
Um, as opposed to like where I felt like White Lotus sort of petered out at the end, the, the penul- penultimate episode, I felt it like was better uh, than mm-hmm. the finale. I feel like in this in this case, uh, the finale is everything you want it to be um, and, and sort of has um, emotional catharsis for almost all of the characters, which is pretty unbelievable. Wow. Um, is there talk of continuing this? Is this a min- is this going to turn into like a one season situation? I think it's based on a book, and I think that's it. I think the book's done. So right uh, I'm really excited that it sort of is this self contained little nugget of goodness. It's it's yeah. really powerful. It's uh, that's something that American television doesn't do that often. But but I think it's a is a no. It's a growing trend. We're kind of taking that on from our our folks across the pond. Yeah, and, you know where it's like the BBC just does like one season, and that's all we need. Yep, uh, it seems like you jumped back in time, my friend. So let's talk a little bit about GI Joe. Yeah, man, I had a long week and didn't have a lot of uh, mental bandwidth for exploring new shows or exploring new movies and things like that. So I really just needed some nostalgia from the good old days of my childhood. Um, were you, did you, did you collect GI Joes? Like, did you collect action figures? Yeah. Yeah. I was a GI Joe transformers, GoBots, uh, hot wheels, uh, nice. you know, Matt, yeah, I was, I was that kid for sure. Uh, nice. he man, you know, like I had, I had Eternia, like I, nice. I had castle gray skull. I had, you know, mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. And you know, like, and with all those, with all those toys came the TV shows and, and the, uh, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero was one of my favorites growing up. And I don't know if people know this, but if if you're like me and you want to revisit those, um, Hasbro's YouTube um, page, they do, two, they do two things. They have playlists of the entire first season and second season that you can watch um, for free. And then they do this thing where like they just live stream on a loop. 24 seven the episodes of GI Joe, which I think is very cool in the sense that like um, it gave, it gives me that feeling of like, Oh my gosh, I'm running late from school. I have to catch GI Joe after school and you just turn it on. And it's like, you can't rewind. It's a live stream. So it's like you have to come in where it comes in. So you kind of just start the, the, the episode where it's where, where it's at. And I don't know, there's some, there's a really nice feeling about that. And, you know, like I know people talk about uh, the cartoons of the 80s just being commercials. And yeah, they were. But they also like there was there were artists involved and there were writers who probably, you know, would hopefully cared about what they were writing and, and voice actors who were incredible. And as I'm watching this 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 week, I'm like, these are just like mini 80s action movies for kids. Yeah. You know? And yes, they put the PSAs at the end to like cover their asses, like to be like, well, look, they're not all that violent. But like kids, I mean, I turned out okay. <laughs> like watching these, well, they, you know. They also trained us. I think that's what you're you're hitting on that you may not even be realizing is they trained us to look for and to really accept sort of uh, action adventure movies, right? Like we were, yeah. they primed us for all of like Schwarzenegger and, and Stallone totally. and Van Damme, right? Like those cartoons were really like priming the pump for us as kids to yeah. be excited by those like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, popcorny uh, like, you know, action films. And, and totally. it's interesting to think about it from that perspective. Yeah. And 
there's a, like the production value is like great. Like, you know, these are very interesting stories. They like, like a lot of times, like, you know, like we meet like the, the family of, of GI Joe characters or like, or they'll be in plain clothes, which I thought was always the coolest part about the show is like, yeah, you get there. A lot of times they're like in the costume that you buy the action figure with, but on the TV show, like they're like, yeah, I'm not working right now. So I'm wearing normal clothes or, um, and also I thought that the, like they're scored like movies. Mm. Like there's like, it's like full orchestrations to these things. And they're like, they bring you right back. And I, I really think that growing up watching, especially GI Joe really gave me an appreciation for it. Like, like you're saying, like GI Joe was a, like the, the show was a primer for, you know, like, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and and Stallone movies, but also like, you know, there's a lot of sci-fi and um, adventure elements in this. So like, it, you know, they were like just like twenty six tour, right? Like, you yeah, know, you, but, you get you get to some a little bit like Deathstro, d- d- you know, like there's some characters that are questionable as to whether or not they could be real. So they sort right. of expand your mind a little bit too, you know? Yeah, and um. And I think like not only were those a primer of that, but also like I feel like the music was like like primers for like loving people like John Williams and mm. and um, and all the other great like uh, composers of, of film like they're the orchestrations are so good in these cartoons. And yeah, they're just like really insane stories and uh, they're just really fun to watch. And it was just it's kind of just fun to like go back in time and just kind of like watch them as an adult, but like still get that like fun feeling of, of being a kid. So, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And and if you want to any, anyone who's listening, who, you know, watch the kid or watch that show as a kid, you know, go check out Hasbro's uh, uh, YouTube page. That's awesome. Um, I, I will talk about probably one of the most depressing shows I've seen in a very long time. Uh, George and Tammy is fantastic. Uh, mm. it, it was <clears throat> we, my, my wife was really into it, really wanted to watch it. Um, I was not as enthused to start it off, but the more I watched it, the more I was brought into the story. You, you don't need to know the characters. It is, it is well-written. It's about broken people. Um, and honestly, if Michael Shannon isn't nominated and doesn't win for best limited, uh, best actor for a limited series, I would be very surprised. Wow. Uh, he is an, un, he, he, Jessica Chastain is fantastic as Tammy, but Michael Shannon, in my opinion, episodes seven and eight are just some of the most heartbreaking. Um, he, he he's so broken as a character, um, and you believe every moment of it. Uh, there's a great sequence where a friend of his is uh, has become uh, more religious and is left behind, sort of the life that they used to live. And he goes to pray and he's like, pray with me. And he's like, God doesn't want me. And, and like it, that you've hit rock bottom when your, your closest friend is trying to pray for your soul and you've given up on even God thinking you are worth it. Like he's so sad in that moment. And it, the whole seven episode, episode six, seven and eight are all like just a giant showcase for Michael Shannon. Um, wow. Jessica Ch- Chastain's great, but boy, it's like, they were like, we need all kinds of Emmy like clips. So give, give us everything. Um, mm-hmm. 
It's fantastic. Cool. Uh, it, it's it, you, you need to know going in, like you should prime something after it that is exciting or fun or will relieve the tension because it never lets up. There's there's many, no moment where they're happy. How many episodes is in the season D now? Like, eight eight episodes. It, oh, so you've you finished it. Yeah, it's done. And it ends. It ends. Very. It ends where it's inevitably solemnly. going to end. <laughs> right on. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and it's based on the book uh, written by Georgette, uh, their daughter. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the book is called The Three of Us or or something like that. Um, and it's written from her perspective. So uh, she, you can feel the tension uh, of her character also with her father, with the world, with everything that's going on. Um, no and I think she gets a good chance because Georgette is finally an adult by the sixth or seventh episode. So you get to see a little more, I think, of what her, how she felt about things that we've, we've read the, we've seen the perspective why through the way the book has been written, but you finally get to see the character a little bit in place and uh, how broken and sad she is about all of it. Um, there's a great moment where, uh, her, you know, basically he's constant, you know, he calls her baby and things like that. And, and she constantly bristles, um, and he says to uh, Tammy, like, she hates me. And she's like, she doesn't know you. Like, you, you weren't there for her wedding. You weren't there for the birth of her kids. You weren't there for the divorce. You weren't, like, if she got to know you and you got to know her, I, she, you know, I think it'd be great. And and he tries to comfort her when Tammy's really sick and she's mad at him. And then very quickly, uh, after about five minutes, she's like, daddy, help her. Like, and, you know, you see the sad, broken component of it, like, this is her dad, like, and he was never there for her, but he, she knows that he loves her mom, you know, like as much. So there's a lot of that, like the pining of love and and the adoration that George has for Tammy is evident throughout every scene. Um, and I think Michael Shannon and, and Jessica Chastain have this unbelievable chemistry. They have a softness when they look at one another, when they talk to one another um, and, and a harshness when they're mad at one another, that, that feels really biting and true. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would be very surprised if it's not nominated for a lot of Emmys. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then the thing that everyone is talking about finally premiered yesterday at time of recording, Mm -hmm. uh, on HBO, HBO and HBO max, or is this just an HBO max thing? I think it's an HBO series, uh, but it's streaming on HBO Max. I think it's gotcha. that sort it's, of delineation. It's hard to keep. I well, mean, it's it's yeah. considered an HBO original, so it gotcha. has that prestige okay. component. Yeah, gotcha. Um, is uh, what we're talking about is The Last of Us, uh, based on the hit video game, um, starring Pedro Pascal. Um, yeah. Um, this is this is and Bella Ramsey uh, as yeah. as Ellie. Yeah. Right. Um, I. I'm sure that this is going to get compared to Walking Dead a lot, but it yes. is very different. Yes. Albeit that there are, it is a a nihilistic future where you know society has been crumbling um, because you know it is a something is happening to people. Uh, whereas in Walking Dead, it's zombies. It's kind of zombies, but um, it is not an unknown something or other as it, as it is in Walking Dead. This is based on uh, a, a fungal infection, mm-hmm. as it were, where it turns people um, into kind of zombie-like creatures. 
Uh, which is interesting because it's also kind of based on real life situations where, um, you know, fungus kind of infect insects and start manipulating their brains to keep like, so they keep functioning. They don't even know that they're infected. And um, yeah, so uh, um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, uh, I will say I, I I played The Last of Us probably about the first four or five hours. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm finding myself constantly in the comparison mode. I, I can't wait until yeah, I get sure. past the aspects I've played. Um, mm-hmm. The Last of Us is a game that is, uh, you can say whatever you want. It was, it was a relatively complicated, uh, straightforward game, but difficult mechanics. Oh um, my God, so difficult. There are some sequences, like uh, literally they, they show... Uh, at the end of the season, the end of the first episode, they show the buildings uh, where you first meet the clickers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as they started walking towards that, I looked at my wife and I was like, this is one of the most frustrating aspects of this game, because yeah. that first time you meet the clickers is so you you have you have so much to learn about how to live in this world and how to survive. And that is one of the most brutal, like training montages, in my opinion. It's not at the beginning of the game. You're about an hour in. And and boy, it just it crushed my soul the first time I played the game. Um, it, trying it trying re- to get through, you know, that area. Um, it's the reason I stopped playing the game. Yeah, I was like, I also I gave don't... up because it's it's yeah. it made me angry. The game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are there are games. I mean, I know we're talking about a game right now, but we'll, we will eventually get back to the the first episode of the TV show. But there there are. But it's a good thing that we're talking about the game because they've done such an amazing adaptation yes. and and also slight tweaks to the story to make it a little more cinematic. Uh, just a note, like the the game drops you into a world where everything is happening and it's it's keep up and we'll tell you a little bit of information the longer we go. Yes. The, the show is taking a slightly slower pace. Mm-hmm. Um, not much, but like it does give you a little bit of like 1960s backstory about the possibility of how this could happen which is not in the game. And then you get to the, to the 2003 time period. And, and that is a little bit extended. You spend a little more time with, uh, with his daughter, uh, mm-hmm. with Joel's daughter, and you spend a little more time in the world and see it unfold a little bit more. But, but then they, uh, yeah. And I think this, yeah, I mean, we can, yes. And then all of a sudden they, they pretty much just reenact the prologue of the <laughs> video game. And I was blown away. I was like, Wait a minute. This this feels like it's like shot for shot what yeah. I experienced when I was playing the beginning of the game. Yep. Um, and that was really impressive. Um, there, I feel like yeah, there are set pieces that I have played in the game that are already show up in the first episode, and I I really yeah I appreciate that um, that attention to detail and the fact that they're like. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna use the story of the game and, and expand upon it versus like oh we're you know we're gonna do what we want to do. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, like one of like it's interesting, and I and I guess because you want to make it because it is not a video game; it's a, a television show. The the infection's not spore based. It seems. Because there's yep. a lot of gas mask wearing in the video game. Um, yep. And I think that's also like part of video games is like you can have faceless uh, opponents and stuff like that, you know. Um, so it's not spore based. And like the, the, 
the people who are in uh, are infected. I guess you say infected when it comes to fungal. Yeah, fungal. I think infection. it has to be an infection. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're infected by this this fungus, like you get these like really creepy tendrils that come out of your mouth to infect other people. So hence, it's also like a a zombie bite, as it were. Yep. I thought that was a really interesting aspect. Yeah. Um, I, I, so far, any augmentation they've made to the story, I feel like has made the story uh, as strong or stronger. I, I think mm-hmm. there's a really beautiful aspect of, of of breaking your heart the same way that the opening of the game, the prologue of the game is one of the most destructive 20 minutes of any, like most moving video game openings I've ever been a part of. And I, I yeah. mean, I joked with Amy last night. I have the words, would you kindly tattooed on my leg? And I swear if, if this game had come out a couple of years earlier, I probably would have had like into the dark, watch, you know, the fireflies logos mm-hmm. would have probably been tattooed on me. Like mm-hmm. this game is crazy. Like it is, it's moving powerful and unbelievably well-written for yeah. what feels like such a simple story. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to see kind of like where this goes. Um, so for me, however, the show, once you kind of finish the prologue section of the show, to me, it takes a dip when it mm-hmm. jumps in time and you're like, and, and the, like the prologue to me was like, just like blew me away. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when I it mean, jumps it's an in 11, time, it's, it's like an 11, like it's, it's yeah. one of the best 20 minutes of the television. Yeah. And, um, and once it jumps in time to like, this is welcome to what you're getting for the rest of the season kind of thing. Yep. I was a little disappointed to be honest. Uh, I was not only because I had not looked at the casting and I was so excited when I realized that Tess was being played by Anna Torv. I I was like, Oh my God, Pedro Pascal and Anna Torv are going to Mm be my, my shepherds into this universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, made me really excited. And also, I just think the actress who plays Marlene, uh, Merle Dandridge, is the voice actress who voiced Marlene. So it's super exciting that she got a chance to actually come to the screen and play this character. Uh, is Marlene the, the young girl? No, it's okay. the woman who leads the Fireflies. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Cool, 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 cool. Because I was like, ah, I was. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll see. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I just think that the the prologue blew me away so much that like, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's going to take. It's, it's, it's definitely going to. You know, in order to match that level of storytelling, an epic like shot for shotness that really broke us when we played the video game the first time. This show is really. I, I can't wait till we get inside the building and, and meet the clickers for the first time because that feels again pretty epic. And uh, from the trailers and, and everything I've seen, it, it feels like it has that same tone and tenor that the game had. I, I think I'm really excited to get past the aspects where I know what's going on because I feel like mm. that is constantly all I'm doing right now is just this sort of like ticking boxes and saying like, well, that's different. Why? Like I, I want to just fall into the world and, and be a part of it. Yeah. And um, I thought it was really interesting in kind of uh, in the, in so far um, we've only seen people who have been recently infected. So the, the fungus has not, taken over their body a lot until you get a little farther down into the the episode but these like blood hungry raving crazy quote-unquote zombies or clickers 
Uh, I, I thought it was very cool. Like they they run at like breakneck speed and they're like bashing through doors and it's very it's very scary and uh and intense. Um so I thought that's cool. Um I'm 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 looking forward to seeing Nick Offerman show up. Yeah. Um and I just super, super shout out to the actress Nico Parker, who yeah. plays Sarah Miller, who is Pedro Pascal's daughter. She does such heavy lifting in this episode. Yes. To her detriment. Um and and I say that in a sense that she so she does such an amazing job of us falling in love with her as a character so quickly. Yep. Um that I it's I I I think it's I think what she did in I'm trying to like talk around yeah. things here, but what she did in like 10 minutes, um, it's going to take Bella Ramsey who is episodes. like episodes to cut co- to come. Yeah. A season, I think yeah. uh, like, um, so Bella Ramsey is kind of, uh, the character that Pedro Pascal kind of like, it's a lone wolf and cub scenario again, like yep. like like the Mandalorian and all those other things. Um, but he's like on a journey. He's on a hero's journey to protect uh, Bella Ramsey's character, Ellie Williams. Yep. Um, she's like super. I I remember her in the in the video game being much more likable right away. She's she's really intense, and I'm not like I'm not dissing her, but like they have written her to be, I think, much more kind of like she's got a lot of pluck is the way i would put it like she's she, yeah she's she's got real defensive armor on really uh not as vulnerable as i think she was in the video game for sure yes which yeah i feel like battle of ramsey is taking a little bit of that game of thrones energy that she had yes where she was like the most badass child queen um and is kind of inserting it into this um so I look forward to seeing. I look forward to seeing the other side of her, uh, hopefully down the line in a couple episodes. You know. Yeah, Lyanna Mormont was was probably one of the most badass characters in all of Game of Thrones. So yes, uh, yeah. I'm excited to see what Bella Ramsey does with this. I'm I'm on board. I, I will watch this entire first season, um, yeah. just based on the 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 feelings that the opening twenty minutes gave me again. Um, I am hopeful that the show lands uh, and is as moving as I think it could be. Um, I I am with you. I don't think that the post prologue made me feel as moved as the prologue did. Yeah. So let's jump into some films, my friend. Uh, I watched a bunch of films. Uh, I was I was flying. (laughs) I was flying, so I I was on planes, uh, and I was able to catch a couple. Um, I think uh, I will start off by saying uh, of all the films I watched, I think I had a very mat experience most of the way. Um, the first one I watched was See How They Run. I think uh, a, a unbelievable cast. I kept smiling at the movie. Uh, it's it's Sasha Ronan and uh, just the entire cast is unbelievable. But she just kept making me laugh. She's so yeah. funny as the sort of presumptuous uh, uh, up and coming uh, police uh, police police woman who is trying, who constantly jumps to conclusions. Um, it's just a fun movie. I, I don't know why people were so mad about it. I think 
they were more mad about the crazy cast and what the film that it didn't turn into this like epic, like movie that everybody's going to talk about forever. It was a very solid, like three star movie for me. I, I, I enjoyed it. I smiled a lot. This really fun moments, but yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a good murder mystery film. Yeah. I forget what, I forget what episode I brought this up, this episode or this movie up in, but it was one of our earlier ones. I, I yeah. remember. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a good it was a good experience in the seeing it in the theater. Um, and I think that I think with I think with murder mysteries, it's very it's much it's much better to uh, see them in theater. So you're like kind of locked in. You mean um, not on like a six inch screen on the back of, uh, on a tablet on on a plane? Well, uh, on a plane, you're locked in too. So I was, yeah, yeah. The cast was great. I, there's no like I one big shout out for me is anytime Ruth Wilson is in something I'm on board. Like mm. she's, she's fantastic. And, and she always steals every scene she's in. So, uh, but Adrian Brody is really fun in this movie. Uh, yes, I, I think yeah. he, he's just so silly. Every time he's on screen, I just, I find myself just grinning for no good. Like he's just playing this sort of slimy jerk. Uh, but he's so charming and, uh, and Sam Rockwell's great. He's, he, he plays the sort of curmudgeon-y detective. He's he's fun. Yeah, uh, he's a no, drunk. No, yeah, but nothing bad to say about this movie. Uh, there were so many people who were so angry about it. I don't understand. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was not aware of that. Um, yeah. Uh, cool. That's Some more awesome. Jessica Jastain. I watched The Good Nurse. Uh, again, yeah. another movie that people were really angry about. I don't understand it. This is a pretty solid three, three and a half star movie. Uh, Eddie Redmayne is unbelievable as this sort of like um, soft-spoken, uh, questionable nurse, uh, and Jessica Chastain is is playing very. She she has a heart condition, so she's playing the movie a lot, very soft. She's yeah. She you can feel her pulling back through the character that she's playing. Um, so I don't know that it's the strongest Jessica Chastain performance, but she feels vulnerable, and and he feels like a very questionable human being. Um, and at the, at the end you get to, you know, the final reveal, you get these, like the explanation of who and what and what happened and all this stuff. And and I was just like, it was like a gut punch. Like the, the movie is well done, tells the story really well. I don't know why people were so angry about this. Um, I, well, I think, I think it, it's, I think it's is really great. Well, if you're basing it off of performances, that's fine. Yeah. Like they're, 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 they're very good performances, but also, uh, there's not, there's no, there's no twists or there's no peaks and valleys. It's a pretty much straight out. I mean, spoiler alert, they pretty much tell you the ending in the beginning. And then yeah. there's no, there's nothing uh, that there's nothing that happens to make you question it. You're like, yeah, fucking yes. This is, <laughs> yes. Am I take like, if anything, it's like, get to the point. Yes, we all know the ending here. <laughs> um, and I think also, the, I think the thing that, like, I would not, I, I would, like, if we're doing a rating system, I would maybe give it a three, not a 3.5, because, yeah, it's like a very, like, oppressed, like, these people are like, they're nurses, and it's fucking hard. My mom was a nurse, and she worked late fucking hours, you know, and you're dealing with like, you know, cleaning patients and taking care of them. And you are a caregiver and it's like, it's hard fucking work. And I think the tone, the, 
the color palette of the movie is very bland and i think they did that on purpose and i but i think it was also like people like you know just kind of like oh it's so oppressive you know like jessica chastain for example not to kind of uh only talk about her looks because she is incredibly good in this movie uh acting wise but she has striking red hair yes and like in this movie, they 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 reduce all the saturation from the movie, so it's, yep. it's like borderline black and white, in my opinion. You know, yeah, um, it's very muddy for sure. Yeah, the color so, palette is very muted. So like, yeah, so like, I think when you that, I feel like they were trying to like kind of enhance the tone and feel of the movie, uh, and then I I wonder if that just like turns some people off, and they're just like, oh god, what a slog. Yeah, like I want to watch a movie about nurses, nurses, but I don't want to feel like I'm a nurse kind of thing. But again, like um, this, I think this this came out on on Netflix a, a couple months ago, and my wife yep. and I watched it. Yeah, we we enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I'm just yeah, I'm trying to like just like figure out why people would. Yeah, it was a pretty solid it. middle of the road film, right? Like it was, it, you know, an adult film, adult drama. It's it it sort of uh, it calls it shot at the very beginning, never really deviates from it. I think you're right. Um, I think Eddie Redmayne uh, gets a chance to really live in this character. We spend a lot of time with him, um, but we never get motivation, which I think is the other reason that sort of really frustrated people. I think but the also main this th- is based on a true story. Yeah, the so- true story it's based on. You never really get motivation either. Yeah. So um it's it's a tough movie to uh to recommend only because like i came out of it like i don't know why everybody's mad but i don't Mm. know that i loved it uh you know i I think his his performance near the end especially when uh, when he's being questioned is is pretty powerful um which is why i think that last 10 minutes of him being you know questioned is probably why he's gotten a couple of nominations at critics choice awards uh, at, at critics awards uh ceremonies um, but he's he's good. He's good. She's good. It's good. Like that's the way I walked away from the film. Like I don't know why everybody was mad. I I guess people just wanted a better movie. Um, yeah, it sure. Was, it was fine. It was fine. They made a movie. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, it is. Uh, our friends over at Slash Film always say that at the end of every movie uh, of every review. It's like, uh, and and isn't it amazing that this person made a movie? It, it's true. There's a lot that goes into making a movie, even even one that feels as like intimate as this, right? Like there's multiple. They can't all be terrified too. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, let's jump over to confess Fletch. Uh, did you get a chance to ever watch this? Uh, I've no, I have not uh, had a chance to watch this. Although being a, a big John Han fan, a Han ham fan, <laughs> I should be myself. I you're, love ham. You're, ham, you're ham stan. Ham, is that what it is? Is that what they call themselves? Uh, I think anybody who's like a big fan of something, it becomes a stan. Uh, so I love ham, ham sandwiches. Greg, ham. Greg Matola taking on uh, the sort of uh, the Fletch world. Uh, he's he writes it with a couple of other people. Uh, it's based on the novels by Gregory McDonald. Uh, Greg Matola gets to direct this, and it just feels like everybody's having a good time. Uh, I, I feel like John Hamm is just floating through this movie. I, I've never seen him look more comfortable, more at ease playing a character. Uh, he's kind of a dum dum who's also kind of smart. It it, it plays perfectly. Yeah, no? it plays perfectly into the characters he's played in the past. It reminds me a lot of like an elevated version of who he was in Thirty Rock. Um, 
it's just yeah. so like, fun, you know. Like um, his character in Bridesmaid. Yes, totally. Gotcha. It, it's a blast. Uh, I think my big shout out would probably be uh, Aiden uh, Mayry, who plays Grizz. Uh, she's one of the detectives. Uh, he has really great chemistry messing with her. Uh, she, he constantly is just like, Hey, uh, why don't you get me a soda? Uh, he, he, he's constantly like playing with her and catches her, like following him. And, and she's just so disgusted and annoyed with this handsome man all the time. It just feels like it's, it's against type also. Cause she's a beautiful woman. He's a handsome guy. And she just detests him from the moment she meets him. So there's this really fun chemistry of him trying to like win her over, but also poker, uh, all the time and, and really irritate her. Um, and, and some of those sequences, they're, they're seconds worth of dialogue and they made me giggle every time. Um, again, another three and a half star movie. I think, uh, this is fun. We should send think they're gonna make more of these. I, I really hope they will. Uh, I think yeah. it, it did what they were trying to accomplish. I can't mm. think that this movie cost that much to make. It also had mm. Kyle McLaughlin playing a, uh, a art dealer and he's so great at this point in his Ooh. career playing yeah. this sort of uptight. Uh, he hates, uh, he's a germaphobe. And so you get like handsome Kyle McLaughlin with like pristine white hair. And like every time he goes near anything, he's like sanitizing his hands. But he has this like frenetic energy of like, I, I can't, humans suck. Uh, stop touching me. Um, but he's also constantly charming. It's it's really fun. It's such a, it's such a blast of a movie. I, I think um, it is not a five-star film. It's not going to win a ton of awards. Boy, I am happy to like make some popcorn and spend two hours with Fletch. Yeah, I mean, I was not, I I'm not a big Chevy Chase fan per se, yeah. and when the the other Fletch movies came out, I think I was too young. Yep. Um. So yeah, I mean, if this is a franchise that John Han can Ham can kind of latch on to, yeah, I'm. I mean, give me more Ham, more yeah. Ham, please. Um, more Ham. On- <laughs> there's uh i i think I, i'm hopeful that we'll get more i, I that, that is my takeaway from that it's like a rock solid three and a half star movie like fun time at the theater right i watched it at home i, w- I would have enjoyed it in the theater um yeah it's a, it's a blast they should make more of these if they don't cost that much to make i don't think just make films for adults it's fun um the next one i'm going to jump into i don't know if you got a chance to see this this is a new sort of uh docu documentary-esque film called uh this place rules mm. um it is no idea what it is okay. tell me about it. so andrew uh Cal- Caligan, Calag- callahan uh is this he was a teenager uh, who would go and and record himself um at like trump rallies at at any any place where he would go and and sort of just fall into the background um but be sort of uh eyes and ears of the internet while he was there. Um, he's a sort of weird, uh, quirky guy, uh, who dresses in sort of a tan suit and carries a big old fashioned stick microphone and, uh, has gone, uh, and become sort of this like viral sensation for being in and around the weirdest stuff going on in America. Uh, and he did this while he was in high school and then post high school, he bought like a Winnebago, and started going and doing this like as his professional career. Like this is what he does now. This sounds very much like um, there's a comedian that does this for like the Daily Show or something. I think. Yep. 
it sounds a lot like that. Um, and uh, again, also, uh, I think that comedian got caught during, you know, the January events. I yes. think he was, you know, trying to do some comedy and all of a sudden got part of that tragedy. Yeah. Um, so Andrew, uh, the, the premise for this movie is that he had been out there in the world uh, leading up to January 6th. So he wanted to, they, they editorialize and tell the story from all the events that he was at about how January 6th came to a head, basically. Um, right. And he gets like real access to people. Like he's on Alex Jones's show. He actually goes and spends time with Alex Jones. They like work out in his gym. They drink together. Like it's crazy how much connection this kind of awkward guy ends up having with people. Um, he's so nondescript and so like unassuming. I think that people let him in. Um, mm. There are people who are like real uh, like Q, QAnon enthusiasts and like he gets to come into their house and hang out with them and spend time with their kids. And kids seem to really like him. He like gets along with he has this ability to sort of just blend into the scenery, but also like poignantly question at times. That's the thing that's mm. really amazing is like he he gets in tight with Alex Jones and then very pointedly asks him like, don't you think you have some culpability in this? Like, and, and, and on his show, like live, which is unbelievable. Like you, I can't imagine this 20 something year old getting the type of access, but also to have the, the level of like grit it takes to stand his ground and, and be a part of all these amazing, uh, like insightful moments that seem like they're just going to be silly from the outset. Um, mm -hmm. and I think he, there's a vulnerability that he brings to the table and, and, an honest questioning. Like he has a very like open, like he's not judging to begin with. He sort of mm -hmm. seems to be taking it all in and that's the, he spends time with the Q family and then he goes back afterwards when they feel like they've been let down and, uh, and he's, he's talking to the kids and there's this great moment where he's like, so what do you think of all this to his son? And he's like, I think my dad was taken for a ride and I'm mad at Q for not for wasting my dad's time. And like, it's, it's unbelievably poignant. Like here's this like 11 year old kid talking about how his father sort of lost time with his family because of how much he was down the rabbit hole. Like um, I think it's worth watching. And it's also worth watching. It's, it's worth watching for sort of the comedic component of some of the weird shit he gets involved with. But there's also a really deep vein of like poignancy and, um, and, and vulnerability that he brings and gets people to be honest with him that I've not seen in, in a lot of interviews. Um, and, and it's quirky and fun and wacky and, but like everybody should watch this. It's on HBO max. It's a short run. It's only like 86 minutes or 83 minutes. Um, but boy, strap in and, uh, be ready for wackiness is the way I would put it. 82 minutes. I think. Yeah. It's short. It's, it's, Fast, you, you you realize very quickly, like, at one point, my wife was like, this is really more scary than horror movies we've watched. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Dude, in the world we live in, like, when when things, you know, back in those, back in the day of 45, <laughs> comedy got different and, like, horror got different, you know? Yeah. Like, the world was scarier than, uh, th than, than fiction. So. Yep. Um, I think the last one we're going to talk about for the main review is Ticket to Paradise. Uh, my, I, I looked at my wife. We were looking for something to watch. And I was like, you've wanted to watch this for a while. I make you watch a lot of things. Let's just watch Ticket to Paradise. 
Um, yeah, again, and like a, a, a very fine movie. They, I mean, they look like they're having a great time. Boy, George Clooney is charming. Julia Roberts is beautiful and charming. Like it's just charm central across them. All the yeah. all the people that you meet uh, in Bali. It's is it Bali? Uh, I, I don't know. They go. They they go someplace. I think it's Bali. Everyone they meet Bali. is just charm city. Like the father, the mother, like the every, everybody. It's so unbelievably uh, smiley. That's how I would describe it. Like I, you want to. George Clooney plays an unlikable douche at times, but like you just keep smiling at him because he's George Clooney and he's got yeah. like the perfect stubble beard and like he, he's gone completely so, salt and pepper and like, yeah, yeah it's, so it's a fun so movie. Anyone who, has, anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, it's it's a movie where like George Clooney and Julie Roberts were married. They had a child. They got divorced. It is a very, it, they hate each other. Um, and um, their daughter goes on vacation, meets the love of her life, and now is going to stay there and get married. So they have to go to uh, paradise and be there for the wedding. They try to break up the wedding. And, you know, you find out more about them and, you know, things happen. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, really, I definitely feel like um, this... I don't know who approached Julie Roberts and George Clooney about this, but they're like, Hey, do you want to hang out with your, one of your really good friends and be in a tropical place and film a movie? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. They, they just feel like they're having a really good time. I am not a huge fan of these, like we're divorced and then we're in love again at the end movies. Yeah. Spoilers, dude. Well, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. That's, that's the cliche that we're dealing with here. Yep. Um, but again, also, like, they try to, like, not do it to a T. So, you know, points for that. Um, I think I originally had stayed away from this movie personally because I was like, oh, it's a divorce, not divorced movie. Yeah. Uh, but then my wife wanted to watch it. And I was like, well, I love you. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean the performances are what really do it. Yeah, the I think the big shout out is is Ren, her uh, the the best friend of Lily, uh, who is the daughter of the two main actors, uh, Billy Lord, and she's just super fun as this like disaster of a friend who is basically an adopted daughter slash sister of everybody involved, uh, and she just she's fun every time she shows up. She's like. She's got something quirky and fun to say. She's weird. She's it, 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 there's nothing more to say about this film, in my opinion, than like, yeah, it's a three star. Yeah, it's rom commy. It's tropey. It's beautiful. Like I can't, I just came back from you know Playa de Carmen, and I'm watching this film, and I'm like, God, that's beautiful. I just saw real life beauty like this, but like I was blown away by how beautiful it looked on my television. Um, it it's yeah, it's a love letter to Bali. Like <laughs> George Clooney gets gets a gets accosted by a dolphin in his wiener area and it's fine (laughs) i I don't think we're going to top that uh let's move on to our main review folks uh let's talk a little bit about megan john do you want to give us a quick synopsis of where where this movie opens and what what this film is about hell yeah i do because this movie's awesome (laughs) um so, yeah, so uh, Megan is the story about um, a artificial intelligence 
uh, Android toy that is created by um, uh, by uh, Allison Williams um, uh, for a toy company, and um, it what happens is um, unfortunately her her sister and brother in law um, suffer a fatal car crash. However, um, they are survived by their daughter Katie. Katie is very depressed and now is put into the um, in uh, you know um, uh, Allison Williams' character Gemma Gemma becomes her legal guardian. Allison Williams has no interest in becoming a legal guardian. She is a um, she is about she's career focused and that's okay, um, but. <laughs> But uh, children were not in the cards. So in, a, in, in kind of a way, she creates uh, Megan um, to be kind of like a surrogate caregiver for for her daughter, uh, for her, well, her adopted daughter, but her niece. And things go crazy. Yep. Uh, you know, the programming goes a little off. Uh, Megan gets super protective and then she becomes a little more, a little bit more sentient because she, uh, you know, they always make robots that are supposed to continue to learn and the internet is a scary place. It's true. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Like this movie, you know, like uh, I'm sure it gets a lot of comparisons to Chucky, but yeah. I had way more fun watching this. Uh, than any of the child's play movies. I have not, yes, I have not seen the new Chucky where it pretty much is this story. Like the, there's a new Chucky movie that didn't do very well where it's pretty much this scenario mm -hmm. and Chucky is voiced by uh, Mark Hamill. So I, I, I kind of am interested in watching that. There's also a Chucky TV show that's out that just got renewed for its second or third season. Kind of curious about that. But really when it comes down to it, I was like, I was more interested in this. I think it's she is more subtle than than the character of Chucky. Yep. For the most part, uh, you know, Mary, the the character of Megan is like I don't know, maybe like a three foot ish, yeah. like light, you know, tall. Um, probably very, about the size of an eight or nine year old's child. Yeah, very pristine. Uh, but a lot of times kind of a little deadpan in the face, which almost made all the, the, the lines that she was delivering, like just like creepy, but awesome. <laughs> and she's got attitude at times when, well, when, when she's not being quote unquote Megan and she's like, you know, I mean, she's got some really great lines. Like I am AI conic, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she wears a Pico. This, I was listening to a bunch of reviews of this film after the fact and listen to a bunch of podcasts. They pointed out one thing that made me laugh. Uh, she wears sunglasses. Yeah. She's an android. She does yeah. not need sunglasses. She wears them because they're fabulous. Uh, she yeah. wears a pink coat over this baby doll dress, not because she's cold, because it's fabulous. Like Absolutely. every aspect of this movie is, is just playing on the fact that like she is this little iconic uh, monster of a personality. Um, and it starts off with all the best of intentions, right? Like this is a... Uh, her aunt Gemma was is a sort of artificial intelligence like uh, master. She's created a bunch of toys for this toy company. She was already working on this character, uh, this this toy Megan, um, and then she ends up with her niece in her life, and it turns into the perfect way for her to basically continue doing her job, but also get 
Katie what she needs. Um, and right. she doesn't understand the implications of like attachment syndrome and all the other problems that this is going to create. Um, yeah. And then she also didn't realize she was creating a little monster named Megan. Uh, when you create AI and you say, here's a learning matrix, uh, figure it out on your own is what there's a great line near the end of the movie where she's just like, I didn't build those parameters into you. And she's just like, you gave me a learning matrix and made me figure it out. Like th mm -hmm. that's, it's a really funny, like uh, questioning of like creation, right? Like who's wrong here is, is Megan wrong? Is Gemma wrong? Right? Like uh, I think there's a lot of those moments where you have uh, Megan holding up a mirror to uh, Gemma's character and and showing her like you created this it's your fault um, well I think that things. like Allison Williams uh, the the, uh, the Gemma character and Megan there's a dynamic there that's very much like like they are a couple yes. trying to parent uh, and one of them is dropping the ball and is not really into being a parent right. and it's not the android <laughs> yeah and the other one is the slack um, and she's not resentful, really. She's just more like, okay, we'll get the hell out of the picture and then I'll take care of this. Um, this, I mean, it's, there's a reason why, um, at the box office, it only dropped 43% and that's huge. That means yeah. that people are continuing to go see it or they're going to see it again. Um, yeah, yeah this, I mean, and, uh, I, I was reading that either the director or the writer was saying that. Um, they filmed a lot more deaths and they filmed a lot more like gore. So hopefully we get a, like a director's cut of this to, to see that stuff. Um, because it's interesting too, because with, Ch with Chucky, he's like two feet tall. So a lot of times you're like, there's no way that he could accomplish the things that he does. Yeah. So there is a, there is a steeper suspension of disbelief that you have to do. But Megan's like, she's like a three foot tall young person. Yeah. People can be evil. And <laughs> like, it's totally believable. That, that uh, yes, might be the catch line for the movie. That's pretty yeah. awesome. But like, there, it's totally believable that like she can be a doll, but then be uh, a force to be reckoned with. She's, because she's more like a, um, like a uh, my buddy or like a kid sister size, if people know what I'm talking about, if you know, you know, um, <laughs> is like a Cabbage Patch Kid. I think that's, yeah, we, it's like Cabbage Patch Kid, don't believe they can hurt me. Like my buddy coming alive and like, like wielding a knife, totally believable. <laughs> and that's kind of, yeah. And it's, and I also thought, I don't, I haven't gone into too much uh, research to see like, how much of this was CGI? How much was animatronics? How much was uh, an act, an actress? Oh, uh, so most of it was an actress. Most of it, most of it's an actress. Right. Uh, it's a little girl who, uh, what's her name? Uh, Amy Donald. Yes. And I believe that she is a gymnast. So what she ends up doing, like so many of the things that are done in the movie, like the snake, the, the getting up off the ground uh, mm -hmm. and, and from your back, she right. does herself. Right. And then when she runs in the in the forest chasing the kid and she gets on all fours, the actress who's playing Megan decided to do that. It wasn't in the script. Uh, so, no so much of what is going on here is is choices that are being made by this actress, which is really amazing. They like they let her really sort of uh, have an impact on the character. Well, in, she in does ways. weird dance, oh, yeah. too. Uh, that's <laughs> the in the trailer. 
Uh, and it's super weird. Yep. But super great. Um, and it's, it's perfect for the movie. Uh, what I was wondering more for like, as far as animatronics goes is like the close-ups when, cause like there are times when, you know, they have close-ups and, and Megan's talking and, you know, they don't, her, her lip sync isn't perfect because she's a robot. So a lot of times it's just like open, close, open, close, open, close. Yeah. Versus like subtleties of like lip movement. And I'm wondering if they were just like, if they just like did that with, with in post with CG or like animatronics well, you know. the voice of Strange. megan was done by another actress named jenna davis um so interesting to have like two distinct like characters uh people playing two physical the the physical component of the of the android and then the voice of the android um and i i honestly like the sort of the fact that it feels a little like out of sync it makes oh, it so feel even even more creepy to be honest and also she looks like she was modeled after the um the actress that plays Katie, uh, Violet McGraw, uh, like if you like, if you look closely at both of them, you just like, if you took Violet McGraw, like made her a little more tan, gave her blonde hair and like overdid her eyeballs. Like yeah. it's, it's a thing. And, and like, that makes a lot of sense that like, uh, Gemma, you know, uh, Katie's aunt would, you know, model her after her it's interesting that like you know like katie is almost looking into a mirror with with megan it's like almost like you know i wish i was megan yeah. kind of thing um yeah it's just interesting and also on top of all of this like craziness that we're watching it's a story about how to cope with grief because like this all this all begins because we're trying to figure out ways to grieve or avoid grieving for uh, um, Katie's uh, parents who are no longer with us. Yep. And like Gemma's sister and brother-in-law who are no longer with us. So I don't know. So this, I, I, this, great story. You, you mentioned like Chucky, you mentioned, this is, this is not like a new story, but I think one thing that this script did that is very smart is they didn't put in a love interest for Gemma that didn't believe what was going on. We didn't mm -hmm. waste 20 minutes of Gemma having to convince someone else that that Megan has gone crazy, right? Like if you think about traditional horror movies, sure. there would be a love interest that is like a white knight. You're projecting yeah. on this, right? Like sure. there's no way she's crazy. It's a robot, right? Like um, so they, they leaned out the script by not having her have a significant other. And I think that that was really smart. Like they let that role be played by the other people who created the robot with her. And they had enough skepticism that they – they could question slightly and then she had data to back it up. So mm -hmm. it didn't, we didn't waste 20 minutes of the movie trying to convince someone of all the things we just saw. Right. And I right. think there's a, there's, there's something about script writing here that we could take away from, which is like, it's a lot of show don't tell, right. We don't waste a lot of time talking about what Megan does. We watch Megan do it. And then the characters don't spend a lot of time explaining what Megan's doing. Right. The cops questioning about the dog and about the woman and about like we don't spend a lot of time in questioning. There's like mm -hmm. short scenes with like like the detective coming to the house and he laughs about something. He's like, I shouldn't laugh about that. There's like clever uses of of external characters. Also, it's not like we're going to spend 20 minutes in this interview conversation about something we just saw that took three minutes. Like they don't waste a lot of time in the script. 
And that's fine. Like it, we're not talking about making a documentary here. We're talking about making a fun, like dark comedic horror film. So like uh-huh. they just move us through the story in a really effective way. Yes. Yeah. Um, in a way it's like, there's less gaslighting in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like in, in other, in older horror movies, like there's like a lot of gaslighting the main character, like you're crazy, you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. And this is just yeah. like a little less of that. Um, well, I have the last to- one is like, you talked about, uh, you know, about how the film was made and all these things. The film only cost $12 million, right? Like its budget was only $12 million and it opened to 30. It was, yeah. it was profitable opening weekend. It's now made yeah. $94 million. Like this is yet another one of those moments where Blumhouse wins. Like well, they, that, they well, w- yeah, when you get James Wan back, right? Yeah. James Wan. Uh, when you get him back, like this is the guy that um, did the Saw series, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, he also has the production company Atomic Monster now. Yeah, so like, but so, he's like the guy behind Saw, Insidious, yeah. The Conjuring. Uh, you know, he also did Furious Seven. Like, this is the guy that you know. Yeah. If I'm going to put stock in, he's one of the guys I would put stock in. Yeah, I think Jason Blum, like, really chose correctly by backing Juan, right? Like, yeah. this is, we're going to print money making these movies. I will say that there's one, there's, I have one going to pick with this movie. Uh-oh. The, the, the detective that comes to interview her. <laughs> yes. Not the first, not the cop, not, not like the officer who's like, hey. The one who keeps like door. making, yeah. The, the guy who's like, not the guy who's like, the lady next door thinks you killed her dog. Yeah. Not that guy. That guy was fine. And he was fine. Except yeah. like, he let the crazy lady approach the house and like bash, like bang on the window, be like, I know it was you. And then he's like, hey, 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 get out of here. Well, I just feel like he he's like, there's no way this, this old lady's going to come up here. And, like, it just felt very silly. Like a cop might yeah. let that happen because you're like, come on, there's no way. Like, no, and then he's, I, just, I, he's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, yeah. And it's like, that was like totally fine. I was like, yeah. totally fine with that. I'm just kind of like uh, making a funny, but oh my God, the detective who tries to interview her, if he could chomp his gum any bigger i was like I mean, what movie are you in dude millen baird is the guy who plays that that detective i was like what the hell he's like he's literally like <laughs> so, uh, anyway i was like what who is this guy what movie are you in <laughs> that's my one beef uh, also I, I mean i want sequels to this I want oh, multiple. The sequel's already been greenlit. They're already working on it. It's coming. So here's the thing: the way it ends is really great. The, the, oh, yes. the, the, the setting the table for the sequel is unbelievable. Well, but also, um, first and foremost, uh, Allison Williams' character needs to go to jail. <laughs> yes, for so many reasons. Uh, so I hope it starts with her like coming out of jail or being in jail because I'm like, girl, you gotta, you gotta go. I think the That's second movie should be called Megan's uh, and it should be mm-hmm. that there is a Megan that is it's T, it's T2 that you right. get Megan back in the Megan one? body and a bad one. Yeah. I'm down. But I'll, yeah, but uh, like I think it works, right? Like you totally just yeah. steal the Terminator franchise model and yeah. But also would be interesting and a little spoiler, but, but like you don't watch this movie 
to like there could be tons of spoilers and you could still have a great time watching yeah. this movie. Um but at yeah, at the end, you know, Megan gets her up her comeuppance. Yeah. And yet you think it, but then we are informed that she her consciousness may be still out there. Why would she what is the reason why Megan would recreate a young female girl body when she could be whatever she wants? That's the that's the question I want answered. You know what I mean? Oh, I, that's why I think there's two. And I think one is the original model that Gemma recreates to protect Katie. And I think if, if I'm writing the script, then the other one can be anything. I think it's a full-fledged woman. Uh, yeah. Or is this like, are we going to get, yeah, like, are we going to get like a bootleg, Megan? Oh, they, remember, the, the the files were stolen. The files for Megan are stolen from the toy company and yep. given to the rival company. So in theory, someone else could bootleg her. Yeah. Also, there are supposed to be three models of Megan, oh. not just like the blonde Caucasian one, but like, you know, just like Barbie, they kind of diversify them. Yeah. Maybe it needs to be, I mean, on, if you're going to do a sequel on theme two is like the way to go, I guess. But like, there are three models. Is it too soon? Like, do you wait for the third one? Like you just add a Megan every, every, uh, every sequel. And also they blew their load in this one because like, <laughs> so in this, when you, when you type in Megan, you have to put M three G A N. Yes. It's the first movie. Like, what are you going to... I'm telling you, I, I think what I would do is I'd, I would do Megan's for the second one. And and the third one, I would probably do like Megan part three. I would literally just call it part three. Um, mm. Or Megan three, uh, where the S flips the other direction in the advertising. Mm-hmm. Right? I think you could really play a lot. I think uh, this is going to be silly. We're going to have a lot of this. I think we've... We've just seen the creation of a new horror icon. I think she will be around a long time. Oh my God. Halloween this year. Yes. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. It, you could do it. You could do a, I don't know for some reason that like you could do a movie called mother Megan. Whoa. I don't know. We bring back Gemma and it kills her like, <laughs> and, and makes a robot. That or like she Gemma. assimilates Gemma and oh. Gemma becomes a cyborg. Now, now that we've gone from a a conversation podcast to where we're spec scripting, uh, knock it off, Jason. Don't steal our ideas. Yeah, because they're because they're here. <laughs> well, you I mean just credit us. Uh, yeah, I mean I'll take you know a couple points. Uh, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, especially a movie like this, a franchise that's in the making here. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was I was on board with this one. Uh, from the get go, unlike some of the other creepy doll movies, you know, like um, what's the other Bloomhouse creepy doll movie? There's two of them, I think, right? Uh, isn't there one that is? Yes, uh, the Conjuring universe has one, right? Isn't it Annabelle? Yeah, so there's Annabelle, and she's kind of based off of like actual creepy real life doll, maybe. I don't know. And then there's like there's a boy version too. I I didn't know nothing of that. I mean, I'm a wimp when it comes to horror. You know that. So the fact that I was like super on board to see this and it should have been a John's fault situation, uh, but I just kept giggling. It's, it's so much fun. And that's the best takeaway. Like 
see this in a theater, hopefully see it like uh, as much as it's pandemic-y, see it in the most crowded theater with so many teenagers and wear a mask. Like I I wanted that energy. I ended up in a theater that had like probably 10, 12 people, but it wasn't the right audience. I really wish I could have seen it with like a bunch of middle schoolers. Like this is the kind of film that would have been like raucous and silly as, as much fun as, as I had. Because it's PG 13. They can be there with their parents. Fair enough. If they um, can see Indiana Jones in the temple of doom, they can see this. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Overall, I would say a blast. I'm glad we watched it. Uh, we're still not sure what we're doing next week. We probably, uh, I think we've discussed a little bit. I think we were going to go a, a much more serious route. We are probably going to talk about it. Wait, wait, wait. I remembered one more thing about this movie. Uh-huh. I legit got, teary-eyed during this movie really because there's a moment in this movie where um katie is introduced to megan for the first time oh yeah they capture the essence of a kid getting a new toy so well and that like that awe and wonder and amazement so well that it sent me back to I mean, I don't remember, like, I, I couldn't pinpoint a toy, but that feeling I got when I got something that was just so, you never thought you were going to get it, or, or or you're just so excited that it's, like, it's finally, like, in your hands, and it's, like, a physical thing. They captured it so well. Um, and it's not, that's not, like, a, you know, it wasn't cynical. It wasn't, it wasn't, like, horror movie-based, or it was, like, a genuine moment within this movie of, like, childlike wonder. And I thought it was freaking great. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I got that. Out yeah. There. I mean, I think that is what makes this movie work is there, there's this like balancing act of like silly and also like poignant and also over the top, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a blast. Uh, it's like um, going back to Ratatouille, right? The moment where he eats Ratatouille and he's brought back to his childhood Right. Like you had that moment, that moment where like, like we jumped into the past John's life. That's it's powerful to pull off in a silly, dark comedy. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's cool that they were able to pull that off. Yeah. Go see it, guys. Yeah. Make sure. Uh, I think we're going to get more of them. So get ready for lots of Megan. Yay. Uh, so next um, week, yeah, I think we're going to discuss women talking. I, I think uh, I, I'm still not sure why they decided to roll it out the way they did, but that does not mean that you shouldn't see it. It goes wide, uh, I think, this Friday. Um, so we're going to spend some time uh, revisiting a film that I saw at Middleburg. Uh, and John and I are going to get spend a little time really uh, digging into why that film is what it is. And I think it, it's cult- cultural touch tone, uh, touch point. And, and why it should be more talked about. I think the subject matter is tough. I think the way it's shot is unique and beautiful, um, but I'm really interested to talk it out and talk about why I think more people should see that film. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for hanging in there with us and uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. See you folks. Adios. This has been a Geek on Film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.